Hello and welcome to another Newsflash episode of Unpacking the Case. Today, as ever, I'm joined by our Head of Legal Training, Richard Snape. Hi Richard. Hello Lizzie, and how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Um, how are you? Uh, not too bad, not too bad. Good, good. So we're, we're here to talk about the high street rental auctions in light of the levelling up and regeneration bill that came out of the um, Queen's speech, if I'm right in saying, and was laid in front of Parliament on the 11th of May. So do you want to start by telling us a bit of the background about this bill and the high street rental auctions? Yeah, well, I mean, firstly, I, I can't stand this levelling up, but I'm not sure I should say that. I can't stand the, the, the expression. Um, but uh, it's when you Southerners have to give us poor Northerners your money. Um, the um, Basically, been talked about for, for some time, this high, this high street rental auctions. Um, but it was announced in the Queen's speech, as you mentioned, Lizzie, on May the 10th, uh, that uh, the government's going to go ahead with legislation, the Ministry of Levelling Up Housing and Communities. And it was laid in front of the House of Commons the following day on May the 11th. It's obviously early days yet. Um, it's going to pass through Parliament. And it's not just about... Uh, High Street rental auctions, it's which been part eight of the, the, the legislation. Uh, it won't uh, get into come into force for some time, but it's a huge, huge piece of legislation. It's 338 pages, about 195 sections, and 17 schedules. If you've got time to look at that, Lizzie. Um, and uh, it does a lot of things. It rewrites the planning process in England, at least. And, intends outside London and Wales to get rid of community infrastructure levy and replace it by just an infrastructure levy for the country. But this uh, part eight is the one I wanted to talk about. It probably, as it goes through Parliament, uh, it probably warrants more detail. And obviously there's going to be a lot of regulations and things can change in the meantime. Would you mind just summarising it and what kind of premises we're dealing with or would qualify for this? Well, basically, local authorities uh, can designate um, uh, areas of their, you know, their, 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 well, the, the authority area as uh, high street uh, or town centre streets and areas which are important to the local economy because of a concentration of high street uses of premises. That's the, the basic idea. There's also, obviously, again, this may change, but there's a list of uh, examples of such uh, things, very long list. But things like shops, offices, restaurants, pubs, cafes, community halls are in there. Uh, and uh, industrial uh, units, if uh, they're reasonably proximate and uh, their uses in for industrial premises will be compatible um, with the high street uses. What's not there is things like warehousing uh, and also if it's uh, specifically if it's uh, selling and sales or, or um provision of goods or services, uh, but only to business premises as opposed to members of the public, you know, individuals. So that's the background. And basically what happens is um, the local authority uh, can decide to go through a high street auction of a premises if um, it's suitable for high street use and it's vacant. And one of the problems they've got with it amongst many as the legislation stands at the moment is the, the definition of vacancy and whether it's been occupied or not. It's got to be vacant for at least a year or 366 days in any two-year period. And uh, it's not vacant if it's got a regular presence of people in the premises. But uh, 
uh, we've recently done a podcast, if you remember, Lizzie, about uh, the 54 Land Building Tenant Act and what constitutes occupation, which is a very, very, very uh, concept. And I think we'll have the same problems with what constitu uh, constitutes a vacant premises. Can you give us some examples of that? Yeah, well, I mean, presumably it's uh, a premises is still vacant if uh, all the owner of the property does is go there once a week or once a fortnight to go and check that you know everything's safe and uh, if there's any post arrived I don't think that would be a problem but what if it's temporarily vacant because of you know, sort of people relocating or the likes you know obviously it's got to be vacant for at least a year but these things do happen I think more significantly supposing you're using it for storage you're not sort of running your shop from the premises but it's being used for storage is that a vacant property we just don't know um and also supposing you give a series of temporary licenses or leases i mean one of the ways that we've talked about in these podcasts before avoiding business rates and the empty properties is to, to give people six weeks licenses every every three months when you use as charity shops temporarily and the likes of the pop-up shops of this world and say to avoid business rates, if you've got a six weeks occupation in any three month period, so we don't know, is that going to be a vacant property? Probably not, I suspect. There's a lot of issues with it. Um, but if it is vacant um, and it fits within the initial definition, you know, it's been a designated area and it's important to the local economy, then the uh, local authority can uh, face upon the uh, owner of the premises, the, you know, the person. Uh, we'll come back to that perhaps shortly, but they can foist upon an auction and put the property up for auction and see who is the successful bidder. Please, can you explain the process? Yeah, well, the uh, local authority has to serve something called the initial letting notice, which has got to be basically 10 weeks. Uh, and they serve one of the, another problem is they serve the notices on... The person in possession of the premises who can grant at least a one-year lease um, and uh, that could easily be a, a, a tenant of the premises you know the tenants still entitled to possession and not the landlords and uh, they can grant a one-year lease as long as there's one year left or more in the, on the tenancy agreement and it does say specifically, even if there's a ban on subletting, which a lot of premises have an absolute ban on subletting, if not assignment, then that the um, that can be ignored. So the tenant can still sublet the premises, and the you know the superior landlord can't do anything about it. But basically, the local authorities serve this ten-week initial letting notice. Um, the if if you've already exchanged contracts, then you can still go ahead with completion in relation to the premises. But otherwise, if you want to alienate, to sign or sublet, then the um, local authority has to give consent within a reasonable time. You can't unreasonably refuse consent. If the new letting is gonna occur within the next eight weeks, uh, then as long as the letting relate, uh, sort of gives rise to a regular presence of people in the premises, then the local authority can't unreasonably refuse consent. Uh, before that initial 10-week period, it's a bit boring this bit, but we uh, like when you talk about time periods and likes it gets rather tedious. But uh, before the end of the 10-week initial letting notice, then they can serve a final letting notice, which uh, you'll have 14 uh, days to counter notice and then go to court within 28 days. 
Uh, but the grounds on which you can appeal it uh, are quite limited. Things like it's not reasonable uh, use of the premises or you've unreasonably denied the right to, to, to assign or the landlord wants to go into possession themselves. So there are sort of situations like that. But otherwise, it's put up for auction. The premises is put up for auction. Uh, and uh, we don't know the detail of how the successful bidder is decided upon, but uh, against the landlord's wishes, the local authority will auction the premises and um, whoever wins the auction, well, they've got to be given at least uh, well, between one and five year lease of the premises and it's got to be excluded from the 54 Landlord and Tenant Act at least. But uh, the landlord will basically have somebody that they've not checked as a tenant foisted upon them. The local authority uh, takes part in the, you know, the, the sale process and the likes and the, in granting the lease. Um, they're the ones who sign. The landlord has nothing to do with it. Um, it seems that they'll sign on behalf of the landlord and be an indication that uh, somebody else is the landlord and not the local authority. The landlord can't uh, have uh, an input on the rental. Well, it just seems rather odd to me. I uh, shouldn't say that, but it seems rather bizarre. It's very, very controversial. What are the terms of the new tenancy going to be? Well, we don't know. It's going to be down largely to regulations, those kind of things. And also, who is the one who, um, you know, how the local authorities decide on the, the successful bidder in the auction. Uh, the only things we know at the moment for certain is the tenant will be responsible for repairs and insurance unless the property is already insured. So we'll have to wait for that kind of thing. So you mentioned a few problems as you went, for example, the issue around defining what constitutes a vacant property. But are there any other issues you can foresee in this? Uh, there are so many sort of issues, you know, practical issues, not just legal ones. I mean, firstly, um, it does happen, but landlords don't usually rather want their properties to be vacant. There are reasons that properties are vacant. You know, they're the wrong size for, for the tenants, they're in the wrong location, they're, they're, you know, they, they've got problems with the condition of the premises and the cost of it all. So landlords sometimes sort of, you know, for, because of comparables, they don't want to rent out properties on the cheap because it'll affect the value of all their other properties in the locality and properties generally in the locality. But, uh, you know, most landlords are desperate to find tenants, not least of which because they want a rental. And, you know, whilst the property is um, unoccupied, the insurance will be sky high. And uh, business rates on empty properties, um, as I mentioned previously, empty commercial premises after three months, industrial units and warehousing after six, we've got a few exceptions, uh, pay full business rates. And uh, that's a killer for landlords. You know, landlords usually want to keep tenants no matter what. Landlords, I've come across enough landlords out there in the high street who keep tenants who've, you know, not paying the rental year after, well, months after month at least, because the alternatives uh, are so difficult for them. Um, so there is that issue, but there are lots of others besides, like the landlords want to choose the tenant mix for the high street, or you might have dozens of different landlords in the same high street. Um, you know, the fact that you had a tenant foisted upon you was going to start off the whole landlord and tenant relationship acrimoniously. Landlords want to think about nowadays ethical issues. What kind of tenants don't we want in the premises? Because it's not good for our publicity, you know, for environmental issues and social issues and governance issues, the ESG as it's called. Um, 
so the, you know, the whole thing has got a lot of uh, things to answer for. I mean, no one knows at the moment what happens if it's a local authority landlord. How will they deal with showing partiality? What happens if um, local authorities don't have the resources to do all this and go through this process? Um, so uh, we'll have to see. Um, landlords keep properties deliberately vacant because you know they'll sort of not relet premises because they want to sort of eventually, when they've got possession of all the leasehold premises, redevelop the site. Landlords don't want to spend money if they're going to have the type of tenant you know, taken away from it. It could be you know, sort of uh, completely have the wrong sort of effect that it's meant to have. There's quite a few other issues besides that uh, you could mention, but uh, we'll have to see as, as things go on, what will happen on that. Go completely against you know, freedom of contract, which in commercial, if not resident, uh, uh, you know, residential property, uh, has been uh, you know, what it's mainly based on for 140 years now. But apart from that, it's good. <laughs> okay, well, on that note, shall we wrap this one up? Thanks, Richard, and thank you to everybody for listening. We'll see you again in our next episode of Unpacking the Case. <laughs>